welcome to episode number 296 of the Hunt Backcountry podcast. This is part two of our roundtable series. So number two of five episodes, and today's topic is unconventional wisdom and tactics. If you didn't catch the first episode, go back to episode number 295. You'll hear more about our guests and their background and the topic of the final moment mindset. But today, as we talk about unconventional wisdom and tactics, we wanted to find out what are some tactics or strategies that are counterintuitive that maybe go against conventional wisdom or maybe just be undervalued in common hunting advice. Or maybe it's not a tactic. Maybe there's an animal pattern or behavior that these hunters have observed, which seems to go, again, against the common thought pattern of other hunters. So to boil it all up, we wanted to find out what do these guys do differently than hunters may expect. That's the topic for today. Once again, we are going to kick things off with Jeff Bloomquist, followed by Darren Cooper, Billy Malls, Charlie Perry, and wrap it all up with Steve Speck. Here we go. this is a good question because I'm probably going to go way off basis here of what you were going to want me to say, but like, um, like I actually set goals for my hunting seasons, right? So for example, like one year I wanted to hunt three, uh, bull hunt three states, right? That was one of my goals at the beginning. And then another year I set a goal to kill an elk with a bow, a muzzleloader and a rifle all in the same year, right? And I was able to do that. So like I spent, set specific goals for the season and then I also set specific goals for the actual hunt itself. So this year I finally drew a good uh, elk tag in Utah. And so I've never had a good tag before. And I feel like when I first got it, like I was putting pressure on myself, right, to be successful and kill a huge bull, which is what I want to do. But then I feel like I'm going to get there and have all this anxiety um, to, to kill the big bull, right? And I'm not gonna enjoy the hunt. And so like, that's some things that I've wrote down for myself already this year is like, enjoy the hunt, enjoy the process. And it's okay if you walk out of there without getting one, but don't shoot a raghorn on the third day because you're excited, right? Um, and I think sometimes you have to do that going into a hunt to like mentally prepare yourself for how you want it to go. Um, another thing that I've, I've done on my hunts too is, especially if I'm by myself, I do this. Um, so you get back to camp at night, it's dark, you're laying there in the tent and I mean, there's nobody to talk to, there's nothing to do. So um, I actually will journal in my phone, right? So I'll like sit down and like write how the day went, what did I do, what did I learn, what happened, what went right, what went wrong. Um, and what's powerful about that is like, if you go back and read that stuff later, so maybe it was like day five, right? And I'm feeling pretty down because things haven't been going my way and blah, blah, whatever, whatever the sob story is. Um, like when you go back later and you read that, you're like, well, why was I so down? Because the next day I got up and killed a bull, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like the mental part of it is so big when it comes to like these unconventional tactics, because I feel like 90% of being successful is right between the ears, right? Like, are you willing to, to do the things that you need to do? 
Um, and so that comes back to what your mental mindset is going into the hunt. And then also during the hunt, cause it's easy to quit after day two or three, because you haven't seen anything or you're tired or, uh, your wife called and things aren't going well at home, right? It's like, there's always something. So you have to have a reason. And so reasons come first and the answers come second. Um, so that first part would be setting goals, right? Second part I would say is like make hunting, if you're serious about it anyway, make hunting a study. So what I mean by that is like learn as much as you can from your own experiences, um, from others. Uh, a good example would be like, I talked about my, my uncle and my dad, right. With con conflicting styles of hunting. Um, I, an example that maybe I can give to everybody else would be like born and raised style versus Nate Simmons from Western Hunter, right. Born and raised are more like run and gun where they're going to run, go everywhere, get a bugle, chase it, go down there and try to kill it. Nate, on the other hand, is like perhaps the most patient person I've ever seen in my life watching him hunt, right? He will find one bull and he will wait days until he gets the wind right, the situation right to move in there and kill him. And, he, and he, a lot of times he does, right? And so they both are successful, but they're successful in very different ways. And I think sometimes if you watch each person, how they do it, you don't have to do it exactly like them, but maybe take something from them that you like or that you think you can apply or when the situation presents itself and then apply it um does that make sense yeah do you find yourself hunting more like your dad or more like your uncle or is it a good combination of both both right like sometimes i feel like i'm too like i don't um i'm too aggressive right like i'll i'll cover too much ground because i can and it's one of those things, right? Work smarter, not harder. Sometimes I, I feel like I work harder than smarter. Um, and I, that's kind of how my uncle was, where my dad was a little bit more methodical. And so I would say I'm more on the aggressor side. And that's what I appreciate, I guess, like about Nate is like that his, he's so patient a lot of times and so disciplined. And that's one thing that I struggle with. And so I have to keep reminding myself of that sometimes. It's like, take your time right? It's not, it doesn't have to happen. As soon as you see the animal, you have to wait for the situation to dictate the opportunity. Do you find yourself on a specific hunt bouncing between the different tactics or do you try to take like, okay, this, this whole hunt lays out for me to be aggressive or this hunt, you know, there's very low population density of animals. I need to be super patient. Do you try to like stick with a strategy throughout an entire hunt or do you bounce around? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think it's, if I'm going to be bow hunting, it's going to jump back and forth, right? Like I'm going to, I might be aggressive one minute and then super patient on the next one. Um, where if it's rifle hunting, I would say I'm going to be more aggressive all the time. Like I'm going to try to cover as much ground as I can just because in my, in my mindset, right? All I got to do is find one. So the more ground I cover, the more likely I am to find them. Um, or with bow hunting, like if I find one, but I'm going a thousand miles an hour and I completely blow it out of the country, then I'm not going to have a chance. You, I don't, I don't want to say you dropped a quote, but to me, it sounded very much like a really cool quote. And I want you to expand on it. You were talking earlier and you said, reasons come first and answers come second. 
And I know you explained that before you said it, but I want to come back to it because I heard that and I was like, whoa, that's good. Um, so peel that onion a little bit more. Uh, so that's it, a real, it's a goal setting quote, right? It actually comes from Jim Rohn, who's like a business philosopher. Um, and so his big thing is like setting goals. So like I've always set goals for my life. I set goals for my business. And so like, I think with anything, if you don't know your reason, then you're going to, you'll give up, right? Like you don't, I don't want to say it's determination, but like if you have the, the purpose on why you want to do something, you will see it through to do it. So it's hard to say like, hey, I want to go kill an elk. Well, why, right? Like, why do you want to do it? Um, is it, I, I, I can't answer that question for you, but that's something that you have to figure out why. And then when you have hiked for three days and your feet hurt and your back hurt and you don't want to hike up over that next ridge, like you have to be reminding yourself that reason at that point in time to hike over that ridge because on the other side, it could be the animal there that you want to take, right? And so I feel like it's always, it's always in the back of my mind, like, why am I doing this? Why am I here? So my reason has to be first before I can figure out the why. And that, that can be applied to a lot of different things, right? Not just hunting, <laughs> like all of life is that way, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, you know, why, why work that hard? Why, whatever it is, like, what's, what's the purpose? So I'm afraid to ask the question because it opens up like a whole new hour long conversation, but for you for hunting, what is your why? For me, it's, um, the, the thrill of the hunt. Right. Like it's, it's, I want to say it's almost like a competitiveness, um, uh, of me against the animal. Like I have to win. Right. Um, like I used to play sports growing up and then now I don't have sports anymore. So this is my sport of it's me with my weapon against the animal and I want to be successful. Um, I don't do it to come home and post pictures or, I mean, if that's what you want to do, that's cool. But like, I don't do it. I mean, I do it for the meat too, cause I love to eat them. And, uh, you know, I feel like when I leave the house, like I know I'm going to be successful. Like I, there's no other option to come home without something. Um, and so it's just, I just want it. I want it so bad. I don't know why it's just, it's just in me and I will do whatever it takes to get there. I, yeah, I, I don't know. If that's a, that's a tough question, Mark. I don't know. No, I know it like, is. It's just, yeah. it's just like, it's just like, I just want it so bad that I will do whatever it takes to make it happen. And it's, I think it's a competitiveness. I'm super competitive. Um, and so like, I don't view it as like I'm competing against other people. I'm competing against myself. Yeah. And that's, that's great because it ties back into you setting goals for yourself. As you said, it's not you versus anybody else. You're not doing it for photos, trophies, whatever. Like it's, you right. set this goal for a hunt ahead of time and now you're competing against yourself and for yourself to make that goal happen. The only time that I'm trying to kill something big is when I'm going to send a picture to Steve because <laughs> he always tells me that, you know, if I kill something big, that I'm out of the raghorn club. And so like, I prefer to stay out of it versus in it because I, he's kind of like living his life there. And so I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get him, get above it. <laughs> but I, for the last, uh, yeah, at least 10 years, we, we had our little raghorn club and then he started yeah. killing big bulls. And I kept telling him we have to like, kill a couple spikes in a row to get back into the club. <laughs> He has yet to do that. <laughs>
I don't know that I have anything that's super unconventional that that is a consistent go-to tactic for me, but there are a couple of things I can I can point out. Um, I'm I'm pretty good at finding game in unconventional places, and that's just a matter of it's either places that people don't look or they overlook or just places that people won't go. And I mean, it could be something like, you know, you go to a big trailhead and everybody's hiking down the trail five, six, seven miles. Well, I might hike the other direction from the parking lot into the Canyon that I just drove past across the Creek or whatever and go hike up that one. And, um, you know, everybody else is heading the other direction. And sometimes those places get overlooked and just being a little bit savvy about, you know, being able to identify those places. I mean, it's obviously it's hard to know where other people aren't looking, but, um, I don't know. I, I kind of have a knack for that. Um, what, you know, it might be a little piece tucked in behind some, some uh, private land or whatever that, that holds some elk or deer or whatever. Um, but I've, you know, been able to find game a lot of times, you know, close off the of main roads and things like that, that just little places that nooks and crannies that other people don't look. So, um, yeah, never say never, I guess. <laughs> uh, uh, another thing that, that I probably do more than other people is glass when I'm elk hunting. Um, I don't think you need to spend every morning or every evening, um, you know, down in the dark hole, um, bugling and cow calling. Um, I've had really good luck, um, sitting up higher, um, with a great vantage point, you know, find some, some good vantage points where you can hear and, and see a lot of country, but, um, glass and for elk is, is a lot more productive than, I guess mo most people let on it's obviously in certain um, states and whatnot, where you get a lot more open terrain, it, it's even more productive, but anywhere where you've got openings and in sage and, and open hillsides and stuff with timber pockets, it, it can be a really effective tactic to, you know, spot because you can spot elk from, I mean, literally, you know, seven miles, 10 miles away sometimes um, you know, with some good optics cause they just stand out anytime the sun hits them. So, um, a lot of times you can go from no elk to, you know, being right in the middle of them, you know, five, seven miles away the next, you know, the very next morning. And I've, I've used that quite a bit. Um, especially if things aren't going good. Um, I like to move a lot early in an elk hunt, you know, I'm not going to backpack in necessarily, you know, five or seven miles on day one. Um, I may hit, you know, uh, half a dozen different canyons on the first three days of, of a hunt and just try to figure out where the best numbers are. And then if it makes sense to back back in or whatever, I'll, I'll, uh, load up camp and, and go spike out and spend a few days trying to kill some, some elk in a certain area. But, um, I think too many people, um, commit too much of their time early in their hunts and um, don't necessarily know whether there's anything, you know, where they're going or not. So um, another thing I do um, a fair bit of is um, still hunting is something that's hardly ever talked about for Western hunting, but 
it's a pretty effective tactic still for for even elk hunting or or mule deer hunting you know dropping down mid mountain and just sneak along on the trail um midday or whatever um you're gonna bump some game but if you're slow and methodical and whatnot it's pretty amazing what you can walk into um and get close to especially if you know not a lot's happening at at prime time it, it can be pretty productive you classify yourself more as a patient hunter or aggressive or both? I tend to be more patient in general. Um, I, um, I slow play game for the most part, but there are certain times definitely when, when aggression is, is needed. Um, certain animals, um, you know, Spotting and stalking bears, for instance, I'm not waiting around. I'm going to haul ass <laughs> yeah. because they're going to be gone if you don't. And um, their noses are so good. Also, if there's any any potential hint of the wind hitting you in the back, you, you better haul ass because you, you, you literally have one chance. As soon as they get a puff, it's over. doesn't matter if they're, you know, 250 yards away they're gonna smell you um yeah bears i move really fast um but you know elk and whatnot if i'm if i i'm gonna try you know multiple different things before i get super aggressive and i mean that's over a course of days you know on if i've got an elk herd to myself or whatever that i'm trying to hunt and there's a nice bull in there i'm gonna i'm definitely gonna slow play that and be as low impact as possible um, in order to not blow things out. So, um, Randy Ulmer a, a long time ago instilled something in me and, and, um, it, you know, there's a couple things that, that on, you know, the trophy game that, that he was stalking and whatnot, he, he had a, like a zero risk mentality and that risk was relative to the animal's ability to pick him up. And so if there was any chance that he was going to get busted, he wasn't going to take that route or he was going to wait until, you know, the absolute perfect conditions were there and he had to be super patient. And, you know, a lot of times he was hunting units that didn't have a lot of pressure. And and so he could be more patient than some of us can with depending on where we're hunting on, on public land and, and whatnot. But so I, I try to, you know, when it really matters, I, I try to stick to that as much as possible, you know, take the long route around on your stock, stay completely out of, out of sight. You know, if there's a better way to approach from a wind angle, you know, make that, make, take that route. Funny. You mentioned his name, uh, going back to the first segment, he actually had, um, I think it was just in Peterson's or bow hunting magazine or something like that. It was probably 15 years ago. I read an article and it was just like, he had like a shooting tips thing and it talked about taking, it was so, I mean, everything you read or whatever was like, you got to be, you know, wait for the perfect shot, wait for the perfect shot. And he, in his article, he said, take the first good shot you're presented. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of like, it kind of struck me like, oh, like here's somebody who's, you know, obviously killed a lot of animals saying something that's kind of contrary to what everything you read online or see in TV shows was, was, you know, like if you got a, your, you know, your first shot, that's a 80% high percentage shot, you better be taking it because if you keep waiting around and waiting around for that perfect one, you might not get it. 
that's that's absolutely true especially when you get inside that zone you know and you're when you're in their bedroom um things can fall apart really fast and so i think that's important to um if you want to be you know a high percentage killer kind of guy you've got to get in the mode of uh, jumping on that first opportunity and making it happen you also have to know when to back off like if that you know opportunity vaporizes and, and the angles does turn out to be wrong and, and whatever you got to be able to stick in there and, and either hold it or, or, or be, um, you know, ready to let it down. Um, if, if required, you know, don't, mm. don't force a shot that you yeah. think is a low percentage just because, you know, you're trying to get, get it done. But, um, but yeah, be ready to step on the gas when it's time to, when it's actually time to, you know, get it done. Um, that's when I accelerate things. It's like, all right, I've got an opportunity. It's, you know, got to see it coming and then be ready to jump on it and, and be there and, you know, get drawn early and all, you know, all that stuff that, that we kind of learn over the years of the, the five or 10 times that we get stuck there with an elk staring us down and we're, we're holding our bow and it's not at full draw. We're trying to hide behind it. Um, you learn pretty quick that, you know, you gotta, you gotta make stuff happen or, or stuff's going to happen to you in a bad way. Well, first off, I was say like hunting is a balance of patience and aggression. And I always figure you're at the beginning, particularly you have to err on the side of aggression, because if you don't do that, you'll never know where that line is. And so I'm definitely not as aggressive as I used to be. And maybe if anything, I'm kind of getting maybe to that point where I need to start being a little bit more aggressive. I feel like there's some times where um, I maybe wonder if I, you know, you know, should it should have been more aggressive. But um, yeah, so I, I would say. Uh, yeah, here's an example. This is one, one way that I learned that that started to slow me down in sheep hunting. We were backpacking, I don't know, four or five days. Hunter was getting pretty well wore out. We climb up into this, uh, we hustle early in the morning when we had downhill thermals, we go up into this canyon and uh, we look at it and it's empty. And so I turn around and getting ready to go, you know, we sat there, we glass, we had a drink of water, you know, and I kind of start loading my pack up, getting ready to turn around, you know, go to the next spot. And so I look over and well, my hunter had pulled out a cigarette. He didn't smoke much, but he pulled out a cigarette and uh, he took his boots off. And I'm like, ah, what the heck, you know, the guys wore out. And uh, so we sat there and um, maybe like 20 minutes and we start getting our stuff together. And before we leave, I look up and over at the head of the draw, the, the canyon, there's a saddle and here comes some sheep. There's like seven rams. One of them was legal. And, you know, half hour later, we're sitting there with that ram had, you know, I had my way and we ducked out of that canyon. Um, you know, we'd have never got it. Um, and then once that happened, I, I, you know, over time, I kind of thought about that scenario and I recognized that very often late in the afternoon, cause sheep, they pretty much get up, uh, you know, early in the morning and they start to feed. Well, about noon, they typically bed for the afternoon. And then depending on the weather, somewhere between three and six o'clock in the afternoon, they start to feed again. But I had noticed many times and I'd never put it together that very often sheep will leave the mountain they're on or the kind of the country that they're in. And they'll like more or less kind of relocate to a whole new area. Like they'll maybe come down into a valley 
um, and then cross over up to the next mountain. I'm, I'm sure it's because, you know, they spend, let's say two, three days on this mountain or a line of mountains and they're kind of sitting there watching and they never see any predators down in the valley, let's say, well then late in that afternoon, everything is right. And the, and the wind is right. The wind is in their face. They'll, they'll come down and then they'll cross over. And I realized that's what those sheep were doing. And I've used that since it's happened two times where I get up into a draw and, or, you know, a Canyon, let's say we hike six, seven, eight miles or whatever. And we got the wind in our face. A lot, a lot of times I'll get up at like three in the morning to make sure we get the wind in our face. And then at that point, you know, a lot of times you're hunting the same country. You're just going right back out that same draw. So your ch chances of seeing something are nil. So a lot of times I'll get up to the head of these draws at like 10 o'clock while I'll sit there for like two or three hours. I'll just sit there, take a nap, take a break. And yeah, I've had it happen again where a ram you had no idea was there comes over the top of a mountain and he comes right into your country. So um, yeah, I, I'd say it's, it's just, I don't have any, I, I don't know how to really do it. I mean, or really answer the question other than it's just one of those things that that comes through experience you just put the pieces of the puzzle together and I just find that um, you know as now physically as I'm more um, not as able-bodied as I used to be you know not as strong and as energetic um, you you I, I'm actually a better hunter you know because I, I can't climb all the mountains that I used to and so you just pay attention more to detail and so in a lot of ways, hunting has gotten more and more fun as, you know, I, I don't really believe in the adage, the strong survive, it's the efficient that survives. And that is the art of hunting is efficiency. So when you say more aggressive in the beginning, you don't mean at the beginning of a hunt, but more in the beginning of your call, it like hunting experience, your hunting career, guys who have less experience than all the things you just talked about, you're more aggressive up front. A lot of times because you're you're still figuring things out you're gung-ho you have more physical capability but as you just said as you go on you just become more efficient absolutely efficiency is everything it's like watch a guy shingle a roof or watch somebody butcher an animal you know they make it look effortless that's the goal you know a wolf and a bear they don't want to expend any more energy than they have to especially when times are lean and you know when when the hunting is really really tough I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's when, that's when you really learn, you know? Um, so yeah, you, you got to embrace those challenging hunts. They, they suck when you're going through them, when you're never seeing any animals, but those are the ones, you know, humans were inherently lazy, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take the easiest path if we can, but when it gets hard, um, what's the old adage, Napoleon Hill said, uh, um, every, with every adversity is a seed of equal or greater opportunity. And that's kind of the way you got to look at it. And like, like a bear hunt, um, like the bear hunt I was just on, it was 16 days. You know, I look at it from a, before when I saw a big bear, it's like, all right, how do we go kill him? First thought I thought, first thing I think of is like, all right, we got 16 days is now the time to go after them. So I think it's just like anything, you get older, more experienced, a little bit wiser, and your perspectives kind of change, um, you know, and how you go about it. Does anything stand out to you, either from your own experience or things you observe in hunters where you just see inefficiencies? So we talked about like that sheep story is a great example. Um, 
but would you think there's any common things or things that just come to top of mind? If I said where, where hunters tend to be inefficient. Um, uh, a big one, uh, is side hilling mountains, you know, guys just aren't experienced with it. So what I tell guys is to literally just walk on, on ditches on sides of roads, get used to it. You know, instead of going walking on the road, walk on the side hill, um, you know, because they'll, they're, they're so scared. They don't have the balance. These guys will cling to things and they'll fall down all the time because they don't have the confidence. Um, in mental mindset, uh, mentally, I, I would say most of these hunts, even like a sheep hunt, something that's extremely physical, it's usually the mind that gives out first. The body is capable of probably, you know, for, for some people a lot more than others, but if the mind believes it can, the body will follow. You know, if the mind is in it, the body will follow. So I would say most people are grossly inefficient. Well, I don't know that I'd say most people, but I'd say the biggest deficiency i i see in hunting hey, every almost every aspect of life i mean not, not that i'm above it or anything is just just the mental the stick-to-itiveness the um you know the conviction that you're going to stick it out come hell or high water till the airplane comes to pick you up i'd say that by far is the biggest thing i, I took a little bit of time on this one um i think the what I've noticed in the last, oh, 10 years or so, it may sound kind of funny um, and it goes against the unconventional style, but I've been really kind of paying attention to uh, the calendar and hunting times. And basically there's, and it, it all falls off the moon phase. Um, so during a 24 hour period, um, there's, there's two really full active times and it could, one could be, um at midnight and the other one could be during the day um so i've been really trying to focus de depending on whether it's mule deer or antelope or bear or uh, elk um i've been trying to pay attention to those hunting times um and the animal seems to be a lot more active during that time doesn't mean you're going to get you know anything done but the, the animal is a lot more active during that time and that's where I've started creating a little bit more of my su success than times where, you know, it could be one, the active hours could be one to three in the afternoon. And uh, when I was younger, I might be back at camp or something like that, or filling up, you know, water in a creek, um, maybe changing my, going from one uh, ridge to another where if it's one to three i'm going to be hunting during that time um maybe in some dark timber or off a wallow um because that elk you know could be a herd bull with cows he's going to be up during that time checking his cows um they're going to be up feeding and that's when i take a lot of my time um doing a hunting a buck might get up out of his bed change locations at that time um and so that's I talk to people about that and it kind of just goes over their head and that's so that that would be considered unconventional at times. So I know that different apps like kind of make recommendations and use the moon phase and things like that to kind of suggest those times, right? Where animals are going to tend to be more active. Are you using resources like that or are you kind of doing your own thing where you've observed your own patterns and essentially have your own data for that? 
I wouldn't say that I have my own data for that, but I definitely go um, off off of the app times. Um, so I'll definitely be hunting during those times. I wonder if that's super consistent from kind of app to app or um, what kind of calculation they're using to figure out those times. Well, so I've been using, um, you know, off my old GPS, there will be uh, times and then there's a, the, there's an app out there that I use and they're, they're pretty consistent. It might be off like a half hour or so, and it could be depending on what region you're living in. Um, so it's not like a, it's not like, it's not like a hundred percent accurate or anything like that, but that's that, those are just the times that I want to be hunting, um, instead of like, uh, you know, napping on the side of the hill. Um, I'm definitely going to be, I'm definitely going to be hunting during that time. Um, if, if it's in the morning, the afternoon, you know, two to four, you know, you're not going to be like super aggressive. Um, but you definitely, definitely want to be where you may, may have heard that bull that morning. Um, and, uh, you can get in there and just, just another way to create that opportunity to be successful. Um, so that's as far as animal animal behavior, um, un, unconventional stuff. That would be something that you know some some hunters can maybe put into their book and um, you know try to get be a little bit more successful that way. Those times. So if we stick with like archery elk. Um you're not necessarily concerned with, Oh, I want to hunt the full moon or avoid the full moon. It's just whatever phase you're in looking at what does that do to kind of those peak activity times. And maybe that's early morning, but maybe as you said, that's one to three in the afternoon. And if that's one to three in the afternoon, making sure you're hunting then. Um, I mean, we've touched on that before and I always like to get more hunters takes, but you'll hear guys talk about how ah, you can't hunt the full moon. Cause you know, they're too active at night and yada, yada, but you can kind of also catch that midday madness too. Yeah. Not necessarily off of the, I don't, it really doesn't really matter to me. Um, I usually pick, I usually try to hunt, you know, throughout the month of September. Um, but it doesn't really matter to me if I'm, if I'm going to take my one week vacation, um, you know, it'd be sometime between the second and third, between second, third or fourth week doesn't really matter. Um, you're, you're hunting, strategies will definitely change from the second week to the fourth week. Um, but it's each day of those hunting times and each 24 hours, the, 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 the time will get an hour later. So if it's eight to 10 in the morning, um, on one day, the next day will be an hour later. So it'll be like nine to 11. Um, and then as the, uh, as it gets later, you know, the moon will be getting bit, can be getting brighter going down and that's that can play a big role in whether the, the elk stay active all day and things like that or kind of when the cows start coming in estrus and things like that so i pay attention to that type of stuff walk us through just do a quick overview of like week one two three four of september and maybe how you're calling hunting strategy changes yeah so i definitely um have like four stages you know and it's each week of september you know, week one, week one, two, three, and four. Um, so I'd say like week one, it's going to be more, um, if I'm hunting thick timber and it's going to just be more, uh, soft calling, paying attention to those hunting times. Um, 
And then uh, if you do get a bull to answer, you know, and he wants to be aggressive, then definitely, you know, be aggressive. But um, that's kind of when the bulls are still kind of figuring out they may not be all cowed up. And then stage two, there's all that's kind of when they start covering ground. They start hitting drainages and going up over ridges. I mean, they might they might travel. If he had a bull scouted out in August, you know, he could be 15 miles away by the second week of September. Um, and that's when he's trying to find cows and things like that. And that's that's a good time to kill that, you know, five or six point that is looking for that cow. Um, you can just cow call him or bugle him right in. He's a lone bull. Um, that's that's a good time to create an opportunity. And then the third week, you know, the, 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 seems to me the bulls are really, if you want to kill a herd bull, that's a good time to call them in is kind of that second to third week. Um, if he's got cows and then by the fourth week, that's when I don't really call to a herd bull hardly at all. Um, I, I might locate him with a, with a bugle, but from there, um, kind of goes against that unconventional style to not call at a herd bull, but, um, you're better off to coyote that, 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 that herd bull and sneak in. And that's kind of like my four stages of September. Would you say, um, sounds like you cow call a lot. Do you, would you equally cow call bugle depending on the situation? What's, uh, your kind of go-to call? I, honestly, I think my go to, my go-to call would be, uh, bugle for sure um okay yeah the early early in september like early in september i'll bugle and try to locate one if i got if i locate one um and he has no no cows or anything just get in close get the wind right should be able to maybe cow call him in if he doesn't answer to cow call should be able to bugle um but yeah my bu- i would say bugling is my go-to um strategy as far as elk hunting goes So Steve, how about for you? What's uh, what's some unconventional wisdom? Maybe something a little bit uncommon or different or counterintuitive that is part of your hunting? Yeah, I really struggled to come up with anything on this one. Um, the the most recent one. This has been the last couple years. It's evolved. Uh, it's and it sounds crazy, but I really stopped bothering like checking micro patterns in the wind. Um, and this came from lots of years of experience hunting elk and most of the, I guess most of this applies to hunting elk. If I'm, uh, if I'm mule deer hunting early archery, like there's not, there's zero chance I'm approaching that buck without the wind in my face. Uh, I'm waiting for it to bed down. I'm waiting for afternoon thermals to kick up and, and I'm going to approach from above and have, have the, the thermals and wind blowing up the hill have that wind covering my noise, making a stock, things like that, but kind of in the elk woods, maybe bear hunting, things like that. I, I really look at the, the wind from a macro picture, like, okay, where are the prevailing winds coming from today? Um, if they're coming, you know, it's very common in Idaho in September, the wind comes from the Northwest. So it's blowing Southeast and I'll know that if I'm on the North and uh, West facing side of a mountain, that I'm going to have great wind, right? It's going to be pushing right up on the hill. If I'm on the south and east facing side of a mountain, then there's a really good chance I'm going to have crappy winds. My 
the bull I killed last year, I had, we had terrible winds, uh, cause we were really, you know, within 400 feet of the top of this mountain, the wind was coming up over the top and doing the swirl thing. Um, and, and, uh, made kind of a, made the wind just terrible, but that's where if you just live and die by your wind checker, it's like, you would never be able to hunt <laughs> the way you'd, you'd blow the wind checker and it's blowing perfect. And then you take 10 steps and it's blowing the other direction. And, um, it's, it, it's really frustrating. So I understand where the prevailing winds are coming from. And then I'll also understand what the thermals should be doing. So middle of the day thermals going up, you know, morning, evening, they should be going down. Then there's these big times in between, you know, like 9am to 11am and probably four to 7 PM that you're going to have the, the thermals don't know what they're doing right there. You're in the uh, North facing slope, thick canopy. It's kind of cool in there, but it's, it could be three o'clock. The thermals might be drifting down and then there you go step out into a little sagebrush, sunny patch and the thermals are going up. So I understand what the wind should be doing. And then say, I've got a bull that bugled in front of me. It's like, okay, the wind's crap. The prevailing winds are coming from this way. Uh, the thermals should be doing this. I'm going to loop around and try to go straight side hill into them. Um, and so that's kind of my approach. And then I, then I just execute it, right? I, I'm not bothering just checking the wind every 15 steps that whole way into the elk. And I said a lot, uh, this kind of evolved over time for me because I just got into scenarios where we killed an elk and it's like the wind wasn't in my favor, but we still are able to get it done. Um, so it was just kind of this through these experiences that it's like, man, like, okay, I need to pay attention to the wind. It's critically important. If, if they smell you, it's over. Um, but you can't be, the wind is so fickle and finicky up there in the mountains. It's, you just can't like, you know, live and die by it. You just got to figure out a hunt and what the best approach possible is. And, and this, that's like elk hunting too, where, you know, if I, if that, I make that mistake and that happens, then I'm moving on and, and finding another group of elk or another bugling bull. If it's, you know, on my sheep hunt, um, this year, if I've got a, um, a ram bedded in a great spot and the winds aren't perfect, but it's this, this is the ram I want to kill. and I'm willing to sit on it for four days. Yeah. I'm going to sit back. I'm going to wait for that perfect opportunity to go in there and make that shot. But, um, yeah, so that's, I guess my one unconventional thing, um, that I, that I do. Uh, and then, uh, on a random, random tip that I've been doing the last four years, it's more of a unconventional, not unconventional tip, but I started uh, popping ibuprofen on a pack out, whether, you know, three miles or 10 miles, whatever it was, right. When you're, you know, just about ready to load up your pack and start hiking out, take two or three ibuprofen. And I really feel like it helps just with those kind of, uh, aches and pains that kind of come along with a pack out. It, it makes more of a difference than, than I ever realized. Uh, to kind of help that out. So little tip there for when you are successful this year. Well, there you have it, guys. That is part two of the series. Don't forget to tune back in to the next episode. You can hit the subscribe or follow button to receive all future episodes automatically in your podcast app. But in this next episode in 297, part three of this expert roundtable, we'll be talking about the keys to consistency. And so once again, the same guests, and we're talking about when they boil it all down, what is their strength and consistency? How do they continually find success and fill tags? And we'll get into that tomorrow. Hope you join us then. If you need anything from us or have questions for the show, send an email to podcast at We'll talk to you soon.